So we're continuing in uh, our studies in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22. We're going to finish off the chapter this morning. And uh, if you are here last week, if you were listening last week, you'll remember that the, uh, the, the last verse that we studied last week, Jesus um, says, uh, this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is your hour when darkness reigns. And this is an extraordinary thing because Jesus has come as a light a light into the world. Uh, John's Gospel tells us that uh, the light can never, be, um, can never be overcome. The light will always shine. The people of God in the Old Testament are called to be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus has already taught his disciples that they are to let their light shine. He says, don't hide your light under a, you know, un- under a bowl. You know, a city on a hill is meant to be seen. That's what a light is for. Jesus is the light of the world and is meant to shine. But in these hours, in these moments, he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And in these hours, death will appear to reign. Death will appear to triumph. Sin will appear to triumph. Jesus will go to the cross. Jesus has already been betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. Uh, you know, Judas has spent three years uh, with Jesus in this group of 12 apostles. They've ate together, they've lived together, they've shared together. Judas has been out on mission. Judas has healed the sick, he's cast out demons, he's given prophetic words, he's shared the closest of lives with Jesus, but now he's betrayed him. In this passage that we've just read, Jesus' closest friend denies him, says he's never met him, doesn't know anything about him. The guards uh, mock Jesus, they insult him, they ridicule him. And then Jesus is put on trial and the gatekeepers of God's people, the ones who were supposed to recognise and welcome the Messiah, condemn him to death. These are the hours where darkness reigns. And in these hours, God allows darkness to reign because it's part of his greater purpose. But it's in these hours that darkness appears to triumph. And in the midst of it, the heart of our passage this morning is this devastating time for Peter where he denies three times that he even knows who Jesus is. Remember, he's just said at the Last Supper, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And now here he is. Have you ever had those moments when you have, you, you, you say something and even as you're saying it, even as the words are coming out of your mouth, in your head you're thinking, what on earth are you saying that for? Have you ever had those, had those moments you say something and as the words are coming out in your head you're thinking, what on earth are you saying that for? This is, this is going to do so much damage to this relationship. This is this is just the wrong thing to say. Uh, I've, I know when I look back, I've got so many regrets and so many times, especially when the, when the kids were little. I've, I've, I've sort of changed a lot over the years. But one of my regrets so often is when the kids were little, I would, you know, I was very, um, my mum was a perfectionist and she was very, very critical of us as children. And, you know, you do that thing that when you're, when, you, when my mum was growing up, she always said, I'm never going to be like my mum. And she was exactly like her mum. And when I was growing up, I was like, I'm not going to be like my mum. And I was exactly like my mum, because before you realise it's not a good way to be, you've learnt to kind of, and then you have to kind of unlearn it. And so many times I just, I found, I found myself saying things, and, and as the words are coming out, I'm, what are you, why are you saying that? Well, here's a moment where Peter is challenged about whether or not he knows Jesus. 
And he says, I don't know him. And I'm sure that as the words were coming out of Peter's mouth, in his head, he's thinking, why? What are you, why are you saying that? This is Jesus. This is your closest friend. You just said a few hours ago you were going to go to prison with him and die for, what are you saying? And three times he does it. And, you know, for Peter, this is about as bad as it gets. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you come back from this kind of betrayal of your, you know, your dearest friend. This is the moment where, where Jesus needs, you would have thought, his closest friends around him. And Peter said, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to be there. And then he, how, do you, how do you come back? How do you come back from this? And I think one of the reasons we have this episode is because it's such, it's such an encouragement to us that actually you can come back from this kind of denial and this kind of betrayal. You can come back. There, there is a way back. I just, I want to do a, a just sort of uh, do, um, just go through a few episodes in Peter's life, just to see kind of where he's come from and where he gets to, and how it is that Jesus, uh, that Peter comes back from this desperate low point in his life, this moment of desperate betrayal, where three times he says, "I don't know him." He's challenged. You're one of them, man. I'm not. Uh, Certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. How do you come back from that? Uh, You don't need to flip, but if you want to flip back to the passages, we're just going to go to a couple of passages earlier back in Luke. If you want to turn to them, feel free, but you don't need to. Um, Luke chapter 5, the calling of the first disciples. This is the calling of, this is the time when Peter is first called by Jesus to follow him. Uh, Jesus has been uh, teaching. Uh, the disciples have been out trying to catch fish all night. They haven't caught anything. Jesus comes to Simon, Simon Peter. He asks him to put out a little from shore. Jesus is teaching people from the boat. And then at verse 4, chapter 5, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, uh, I, don't know if my, I don't know if my reading of, of this little incident is, is correct. But the way I read this, and from what we know about Peter, because Peter, he, he kind of speaks first and then thinks about it later. He, just, he kind of blurts things out and then, and then kind of comes to regret it and has to kind of claw. But he's very impulsive. So I think the reason that he puts, agrees to put out into deep water is because he wants to prove Jesus wrong. Because Simon Peter, he's been out fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. And now Jesus, who knows nothing about fishing, who's a carpenter turned preacher, is saying, put out into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. And I think Simon Peter's thinking, you don't know what you're talking about, mate. You should stick to your carpentry and your preaching and don't tell me what to do about fishing because I'm the fisherman. So I think Simon Peter puts the nets because he doesn't think he's going to catch anything. It's because you say so, the great carpenter turned preacher, I'll let down the nets. And then I'll come back with an empty net and tell you, I'm the fisherman, you're the preacher. But that's not what happens, is it? They come up, the nets are filled so full that they begin to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful, I'm a sinful man. And I, I, I think from Peter's reaction, I think he wasn't expecting to catch anything. He thought he knew better. 
And he has to start to learn that actually Jesus knows more about everything than we do. Whatever you think you're an expert at, Jesus knows more about it than you do. Which is why when we have an issue, he's the first person that we should go and talk to. He's the first person that we should ask for advice. He is wisdom personified. But Simon Peter, he kind of, he just sort of blurts out and, and, and it gets wrong. He says, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. But it's because of that that Jesus then says, don't be afraid from now on, you'll catch men. Because one of the things that Simon Peter has to learn is that uh, he doesn't know everything. He actually knows very little about fishing. And he needs to come in humility. And that's one of the things that we have to learn as we follow Jesus is that we, we come in humility. We come in humility to follow Jesus. But actually, when we're able to do that, it, it doesn't matter that we mess up. It doesn't matter that we make mistakes. It doesn't matter that we fall flat on our faces on a regular basis. We're exactly the kind of people that Jesus wants to use and can use. And, and the first step towards that is, is recognising that we, that we need him. We need his grace. Uh, let's flip on a few chapters to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. This is Peter's confession of Christ. Remember, Peter is the one who's constantly getting things wrong, constantly speaking out of, out of turn. And yet he's the first one to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. You remember this conversation that Jesus has. He asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? And uh, they reply, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some of you, some, one of the prophets who's come back. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? The most important question we will ever be asked in this life. The answer that we give to this question will determine our eternal destiny. The answer that we give to this question, the answer that everyone who's ever lived gives to this question, will it determine their eternal destiny? Who do we say Jesus is? Just a prophet? Just a good teacher? Just someone who set us a good example? What does Peter say? He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the saviour of the world. So Peter is the, the first one. We know from Matthew's gospel that Jesus says, uh, you, basically, you didn't work this out by yourself. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. This was the greatest privilege that Peter is given. This flawed individual who gets so much wrong. He's the one that the Father chooses to reveal to him the identity of his Son. And then what does Peter do? Um, Luke doesn't record it, but in Mark's Gospel... Uh, this, is what, uh, this is what then follows. Uh, Peter has recognised that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus immediately begins to say, yes, but I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And what does Peter do? Verse 32 of Mark chapter 8. Uh, Jesus speaks plain, spoke plainly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter begins to rebuke him. Peter says, no, this isn't going to happen to you. You're, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the kingly Messiah. That's who you're going to be. This isn't going to happen to you. And Peter starts to, to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine you know, the, the brass neck of rebuking Jesus? You know, that's kind of got to be the kind of thing that you, you, kind of, you say. And as the words are coming out, you're kind of thinking, hang on a minute. <laughs> this, is the, this is someone quite important that I'm rebuking. But this is what Peter does. He's like, he rebukes him. He says, no, 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 this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus turns, looks at the disciples. He kind of sees 
what's going on in their minds. And he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's a pretty sharp rebuke, isn't it? Get behind me. Say, this is Peter. In one moment, he's, he's the one that God has revealed to him, that this is the Messiah. And in the next moment, he's rebuking Jesus. And then Jesus is rebuking him. This is, this is Peter who, who speaks first and then thinks about it afterwards. He's, he's constantly messing, messing up. And then here we are with Jesus about to go on trial and Peter, you know, denies him. It's, uh, you know, it's a tragedy for Peter, but such an encouragement for us. Such an encouragement for us because we mess up and we get things wrong and we speak out of turn and we say very bold things about what we're going to do for Jesus and then, and then backtrack and, and let him down. And here we have Peter in his lowest his lowest moment, this betrayal of Jesus, denial of Jesus in his hour of greatest need. How do you get back from that? Well, we know that Peter does get back from it. When we, um, I'm just going to look in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter, uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. So kind of after the resurrection, after the, uh, the day of the Pentecost, we find Peter uh, boldly standing up in front of a crowd proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. So we've gone from Peter on his ones round this campfire. Told you I'd get it in. A little bit of youth speak there. Peter on his ones by the fire, denying who Jesus is. Three times. I don't even know who this man is. Just a few weeks later, he's standing up in Jerusalem in front of a crowd proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what he says, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Go forward another couple of chapters. Uh, We'll come back to Acts 3 in a moment. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested. They've been put on trial. They're now at risk of being uh, executed because of of what they're doing. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Uh, the rulers of the Sanhedrin who's put him on trial. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So what has happened to Peter? What's happened to Peter to get him from this moment of, of kind of betrayal and denial and he's so fearful of what might happen to him that he denies three times that he even knows Jesus. What has happened to transform him from that person to the one who's now standing up in, a, in front of a crowd and in front of those who've put him on trial and saying, Jesus is the son of God. Uh, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And it's important that we understand what has happened to Peter because we need to learn from it. Because so often we find ourselves in 
situations and circumstances where, where we have an opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ. And because we're afraid, we don't. Because we're afraid, we miss the opportunity. It might not be that we deny Jesus. You know, somebody says, uh, oh, well, you know, why do you go to church on Sunday? It's not that we just kind of say, I don't. I don't go to church. That's not me. It's not, it's not kind of that we do that. It's just we have those moments of opportunity where there's an opening to speak about Jesus and to share something about Jesus. And because we're afraid of the reaction, we, we miss the moment. We miss the opportunity. We're kind of afraid of, of what might happen. Peter's afraid of what might happen. So he says three times, I don't even know who this man is. And sometimes we, we're in those, in those situations where we have an opportunity to say, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, someone says, well, what did you do at the weekend? And we tell them everything we did at the weekend apart from the fact that we went to church. Because we're afraid of what they'll think. They'll think, oh, they'll think, I'm mad. They'll think, Why did you go to church? I thought you were, thought you were a decent person. We're, you know, we're afraid of the reaction. We miss the opportunity. So what has happened to Peter to transform him? And if it happened to Peter, then surely it can happen to us because he's, he's as flawed as we are. If it, if it can transform, it can transform us. Let's just go back to Acts chapter 3 and how Peter and John end up on trial. Basically, they healed someone. There's this crippled beggar uh, at the, the temple gate called Beautiful. Peter and John are going up to pray at 3 in the afternoon. There's a crippled beggar who has, he's there every day begging. Peter and John are about to enter. He's asking for money. Peter looks at him and says, look at us. So the man looks up expecting to get something from them. He's expecting a handout. He's expecting money because that's what he does. He begs for money. He can't, he's not fit to work. He's begging for money. So Simon Peter says, look at us. The man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Peter says, silver or gold I don't have. But what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, what I have I give you. So what is it that Peter has? Now this is the, this is the key to understanding what has happened to Peter to transform him from this fearful man to this bold man who's happy to tell people about Jesus. And these are the two things that should transform us so that we may do the same. And this little phrase, what I have I give you, I think it's one of the most significant phrases for understanding what it means to be a Christian disciple. What does it, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If we could understand what, Jesus, what Peter means when he says, what I have I give you, that would transform us. Two things that Peter has that have transformed him. Number one, his conviction that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's what he says twice, isn't it? He says to the Jews, he says, you nailed him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. Uh, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Peter has, you know, he's lived through Good Friday. He's lived through Easter Sunday. He's lived through the Ascension. He's lived through Pentecost. He is utterly convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's utterly convinced that death is, is, not, is not final. The death is not the end. He knows that death has been triumphed over. So that makes him very, very bold because he knows that 
Even if the very, very worst, things ha- worst thing happens to him and his life is taken from him, so what? So what? No matter what anybody does to him now, he has no fear because he knows death is at the end. He doesn't care what other people think of him anymore. He doesn't care about what other people think because he knows he's discovered something so wonderful and so glorious and so important that actually regardless of what people may say, he must tell them about it. He must. We live amongst people who don't know that they're going to a lost eternity. Who don't know that they are, you know, Jesus said, uh, um, John says, you know, John's Gospel, John 3.16, we either perish or have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. Those are the two destinies that are open to us as human beings. And every single one of us will either perish or have eternal life. There are no other options. And the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which people may be saved. It's one or the other. Are you going to perish or are you going to have eternal life? Are you going to have eternal life? It's only through Jesus. And Peter is so utterly convinced of the importance of this message that he, he has to tell people even if it will cost him his life, and if it does cost him his life, as eventually it does, because he ends up being crucified upside down, it doesn't matter, because he's going to live forever anyway. So that's the first thing. He's utterly convinced of the importance of the message that he has to give. Are we so convinced? Are we utterly convinced, as Peter was, of the importance of and the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Because it changes everything. It means sin is dealt with. It means death is dealt with. It means we can live life to the full and live for eternity. Are we utterly convinced of that? That's the first thing. The second thing that has transformed Peter is that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not doing this on his own. When he speaks to the Sanhedrin, chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Jesus has already told them while he was still alive that don't worry when you're put on trial because I'll give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And here's Peter on trial. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is giving him the words to say. And so he speaks boldly. He speaks boldly. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why um, Jesus, before the ascension, tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They've got the information. They know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But Jesus says to them, it's not just information. You need to, you need transformation. You need the power to transform people's lives. So wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens at Pentecost, which is why Peter is then emboldened to stand up before the crowd and say, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. It's because he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not operating in his own strength. And that's, again, the second thing that we need to, you know, we need to learn and we need to understand. And the disciples, the apostles, understood this. That's why Peter, um, uh, Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you meet together, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. It's one of the most ancient prayers in the church. Come Holy Spirit. Because we can't do it without him. We cannot build a church in our own strength. We need the certainty of the resurrection, which comes to us, again, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That brings to us the reality of the things that we read. 
but then also the power of the Holy Spirit. This crippled beggar, who they then get into trouble for because they've, they've healed him and it's not acceptable, that's why they end up on trial. Peter doesn't heal him, but Peter knows what he's got. And what he's got is the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. So when Peter says, you know, um, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you, Peter isn't thinking, well, I can heal you. What he's thinking is, I know a man who can, and that man is dwelling in me by his Holy Spirit. And if I, if I believe that and I speak in his name, then that power will transform your life. The kingdom of God will break into your life. Jesus will reveal himself to you so that you can then find this kingdom for yourself and enter into the kingdom, discover who the king is, this king Jesus. And that's why Peter and John do what they do. It's why they end up on trial. It's why they end up being martyred. Because they're utterly convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead and they live their lives in the power of the Holy Spirit and it gets them into the most exciting adventures uh, and it ends up with them being martyred and they lose their lives because of it. But they're unafraid. And um, I look at Peter by that fire denying Jesus and so often that's me so often I'm in those situations I'm in those moments and I have an opportunity to speak about Jesus and then that fear that that little moment of that fear grips me and I miss the opportunity and I don't steer the conversation in a way that I could steer it and share something of Jesus and so often I'm there and I'm so encouraged that when I do that, I have a saviour who understands and that I can come back from that and be the Peter that I read about in Acts who is bold. And sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm the Peter that I read about in Acts that I don't miss the moment and I offer to pray and I offer to pray in Jesus' name and I, and I say something. And we read in Hebrews chapter four, this about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. This is our Jesus. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we have a a saviour who is endlessly patient with us. He wants to help us. He wants to give us his Holy Spirit so that we may live for him and serve him and humble ourselves before him and be bold in proclaiming him to others. He never gives up on us. No matter how much we may deny him, he's like, okay, well, let's start from here. Let's go again. Let's go again. So I want to pray for us this morning that we would know just the encouragement of the Holy Spirit this morning. We would just know his empowering again. That when we have those moments, we wouldn't be the Peter by the fire, uh, but we'd be the Peter standing up boldly in Jerusalem, saying, let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me explain to you who he was. Would you, let, would you like to stand? Please stand. Please stand. We're going to pray together. And we're just going to have a moment. And I'm just going to pray this to say, it's the most ancient prayer in the church. Come Holy Spirit, because we, we need him. And we're just going to spend a few moments just waiting, just waiting, just forget the people around you.